I think uh, Cindy just finished sermon number one. That was awesome. Holy cow. Man. Um, You know, one of the things that we, you know, as Doug said, in January, that that has stirred a lot of conversation. And back in January, we began to say, okay, if God's stirring something in our congregation about this idea of finances, how do we then help people in that? How do we address that? And so we began to think, well, some of you may not know this, but um, so we wanted to give two opportunities. And the first one is this. Um, some of you may not know this, but my dad, my mom and dad live in Phoenix, Arizona, and my dad actually has a job. He's on staff at a large church where he is the director of stewardship. He's a stewardship pastor. It doesn't mean he's the bean counter. He's not the accountant. He's not the CFO. He actually helps people talk on basically um, what uh, Doug talked about in January and what Cindy was talking about. That's exactly the kind of thing he does with a full-time job. Anyway, so we began to say we have underground seminary where once a month we try to equip our church in specific areas of how we mature and grow. And one of those areas, as Cindy just said, is finances. It's a huge part of who we are uh, as individuals. And so because of this, we know that many of us are stressed and concerned about this. We think about it. We're not quite sure how to handle it. And so we're actually, uh, I asked my dad, Dad, can we fly you in for you to uh, have a time where you can teach us in an underground seminary kind of setting? Would you be willing to do that? And he thought for a second and said, yeah, I got grandkids there. Yes, we'll come. Sure. And uh, he's bringing my mom too, which is great. And uh, so on Saturday, March 25th, which is two weeks from yesterday, uh, we actually, uh, from, it's going to be extended. We normally meet from nine till noon, but we're going to have it till three o'clock. And it's $10, and here's why it's $10. Materials, and we're including lunch, okay? That's where the $10 comes from. We're not making money on this. We are, we are wanting to provide this as easily as we can. It'll be here at the Boys and Girls Club. All right, now listen. Some of you are thinking, this is dad. He's supposed to say this, okay? Listen to this, and I'm really serious about this. Here's the problem. My dad comes to different places and he teaches and people say the same thing at the end of each teaching. They say, this is so good. If I knew this, I would have brought five of my friends. I know this is my dad, but here's what I'm willing to do. Because I believe this is so important for us and some of the conversations of the people that we've interacted with here at Renew, it's $10, but here's the deal. You come to that and at the end of that time, you say to me, I don't think it was worth $10. No questions asked. I will pay you $10 back. Not not out of Renew's budget, my personal budget. I will not be offended. I I just am trying to convince people it's it's actually going to have to trust me. I know he's my dad, (laughs) but it's really good. I've sat through this 10, 12, 15 times before. It's really good. So I just want to encourage you, if you're on the fence, in fact, so much so, here's what we're going to do. We've got some clipboards up here. I want to encourage you, uh, and we're just going to float this around, actually. So I'm just going to hand it around. And if this interests you, even if only one spouse can come, like, it's totally worth it. It's totally worth it. So I want to encourage you uh, to be a part of that. And and, uh, RSVP to Aaron, or you can sign up. The $10 is due uh, on the day that we meet. We don't need to pay that ahead of time, but we just need to know as far as lunch and how many many lunches are we ordering for everybody. But uh, we know that this is an important part, and we are trying to equip, even if it means flying someone from the other side of the country to do this, because we feel like this is so important for our church. So that's the first opportunity in terms of that. And the second one is this, and it's something we're going to do today that we want to give you an opportunity to give. Some of you have noticed our nice uh, Kleenex boxes slash 
offering boxes that are up here. Something we've never done at Renew. We're going to try something today because we always like to try something different. After we all come up and we take communion, when we return to our seats, we're actually going to do something unique. Some of the middle school boys are actually going to hand the boxes around to us in our seats. We've never done that before. But we don't want to be a church that robs people of opportunities to be able to give. So we're going to try that for a season of just having it come to us after we come up and partake in communion. And so just be noticing that, that after we take communion, that we'll be doing that. So, all right. Let's, uh, we're, we're, we've been in this series on community, but because we're in a series on community, we feel like it's really important for us to introduce our house churches and our house church shepherds. And the reason being is we hear people say often, oh, I didn't know they were a shepherd, or I didn't know that's where that house church met, or I didn't realize there was a house church in that area. And so we want to do something for a second. If you're a house church shepherd, I just want to invite you to just come stand right across the front up here at this time, um, because we're just going to give an opportunity for our shepherds to share. There's going to be a slide that's going to be up on the screen, and uh, I'll hold the mic. I've been instructed to share very briefly, very, very briefly, but one of the things we're going to do is allow them to answer just two simple questions. Where have you seen God at work in your house church in this, this season? And number two, where do you long for God to work moving forward? And uh, so we want to give an opportunity for that. So, yeah, Pat, go ahead and put up the first slide. Who's, uh, all right, Kent. Kent and Cindy. So what's God been up to in your house church? I'll I'll hold it for you. Oh, thank you, brother. Uh, Well, we have the honor of being the smallest house church in Renew, I think. All right. Yeah. So that's that's interesting. But where he's been at work... um, I think in the last year, we've had a couple of our house church members pass away, and, uh, and that's given an interesting dynamic to our house church. We've had a lot of opportunity to, uh, to be there and to serve the widows in our house church, mm-hmm. and Renew as a church has really rallied around, uh, around us and helped in that, too. Well, and tell us where you guys uh, meet. Uh, well, right now, we are meeting at Biggie's which is a, um, it's a little restaurant sort of attached to a bar. It's like the other half of the bar. And so that's been kind of interesting. Um, and it's just given us opportunity to, to try and reach out to people at Biggie's. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, we're, that's kind of what we're doing right now. Great. And what's God been up to? What, what do you long for God to be doing moving forward? What I long for him to do is a couple things. First of all, give us as a house church a, even more of a hunger to reach out to people who don't know Christ yet. That's always been kind of our focus to make new disciples. And, um, and, uh, and also just to, to use each of us individually wherever God has put us. You know, Angela has been uh, involved in the grief group mm-hmm. and uh, we're all doing different things, so yeah. Yeah, awesome, that's great. Yeah, it's fun to visit their house church like in a biker bar, it's really cool. So, all right, next slide. Doug. All right, I'm going to speak on behalf of Doug because Doug's with the children right now. And so uh, Doug wanted me to share, this is the house church that meets at the Matt home, uh, April and Peter Matt host. And, uh, and they, two, two things, God is actively at work in this new liturgy that we've been doing of seeing kids and adults worshiping together. It's been a real joy. And Doug wanted me to share that. It's been neat to see this multi-generational living room worship that's happening uh, with that, which is great. So and the second thing is they're just praying right now that God would give them an even, uh, similar to what Kent was saying, God would give them an even deeper 
uh, desire and compassion for those who are far from Jesus, those in their community. So that's what's going on with them. And, and again, they're in the Telford area. So, all right, next slide. Dwayne and Ange. Yeah. Yes, sir. All right, I'll come over here. I'll hold it for you. All right. Um, well, uh, Doug also asked me to talk for Dennis. He's in Colorado, but I see you're standing up. So jump in here if you want, Cla Claudia. Um, our two Souderton House churches, we meet at the Weavers, and then I'm not sure where they're meeting right now, um, but we were once one about five years ago. We multiplied, and so it doesn't only feel like a sister house church, but very much rooted and connected still. Dwayne and Laura Knox were the original shepherds when the launch was about eight and a half, nine years ago. And um, so now it kind of comes full circle with Dwayne and I sh stepping up to be the shepherds while Dennis goes to shepherd what was once the Alum House Church, the other Souderton House Church. And um, just with the transition, I mean, it can be like awkward, uncomfortable, unexpected even. We've had some pillar family units leave our house church as well recently and then new ones joined. So it's a transition for sure. And all that said, I think the history that we have, the deep roots, really doesn't rock our boat with mm. these, these changes. Mm. Um, and our, our, uh, how we see God working, but also our hope is that we would also continue to not just grow and bloom, but to flourish. And that's mm. our hope for the other Souderton House Church, our, our root um, partners, um, in that, that um, we see God working in that way. Yeah, cool. Dwayne, did you want to say anything? Or yeah, yeah. All right. I think um, I think uh, let's see. I think it was Steve maybe that talked about. One of our hopes is that we would become people that um, really kind of inculcate the idea that God dwells in us and delights in us greatly, and that we live in a strong and unshakable kingdom of Jesus Christ. And um, yeah. so I think that has to do with our purpose, our identity, and who we are, and um, finding freedom in Christ, and uh, doing that together um, on our various journeys that we're on. So that's what I'm excited about in the months ahead. Yeah, great, great. Claudia, is this a good transition to you? Sure, yeah, go for it. Well, I'm, I had the pleasure or the joy of being able to be a part of the, the Alum, well, the new Dennis, <laughs> the other Souderton House Church because it met at our house. And I was so blessed by seeing the love that people shared with one another as well as their deep longing to look into scripture and see what God is doing in mm. new ways that they hadn't seen before. We yeah. hadn't, yeah. Great, so great. So I'm very encouraged. Good. I know it's transition and new beginnings, but yeah. how, how do you long for God to be at work? I know that's maybe more of a dentist question, but how would you... Uh... Well, to continue to seek Jesus deeply in mm. the whole of Scripture yeah. and to great. have it be life-changing. Yeah. But I think, yeah. Great. Yes. Very cool. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you, Claudia. All right. Next slide. Tim and Cindy over here. 
And you're going to have to be passionate. You're going to have to be articulate. You have to be confident when you're talking to a mic for the next couple minutes, okay? So. Um, Tim's upstairs, with, or, or not upstairs. He's um, with the babies, so, um, so you have me again. Um, our house church, the folks that are in our house church currently, we've been together for a few years now, so we're very, very comfortable um, with one another. And um, so what's going on now is we continue to grow as our families continue to have children. And it's awesome because the children have been a part of our worship for a while now. And, and the teaching that Tim does with them. Um, but so it's wonderful to be able to say that not only do we sense a deepening, a hunger for God um, and relationship with God amongst the adults, but also with the children. Um, I, in our house church, I take the, the kids are with us for the beginning half of it. And then we go, I go off with them and we color and, and talk about what, what Mr. Tim taught on. And um, it's wonderful to ask them questions and hear them answer correctly. It's, it's marvelous. And, um, and, and to watch them, we pray for each other, like huh. to see all the, they're all little girls right now. And they gather around each other and lay hands on each other and pray for each other. It's just, it's precious. So yeah. we're seeing the deepening of, a, of the faith from the youngest to the oldest. And I, Tim is the oldest. Um, <laughs> let's just be clear about that. Um, where I long to see us go, and this has been a longing for a few years, is for us to grow in our outreach. That's We're a kind of a commuter house church. We kind of pull from some, some of the farther outreaches of, of our area, um, and that's a little challenging. It's also challenging because Tim and I, that's an area we personally need to grow in, and so it's it's hard to lead when you're not, that's not your strength anyway, and, and developing outreaches as, as a um, as a house church. So that's probably where we would love to see to see growth. Mm-hmm. And if you've never seen Tim's awesome drawings that he does with the kids, they're incredible. They're incredible. Um, and the, the thing is, the adults say, hey, I know this is for the kids, but I'm learning so much from Tim's drawings. So that's really a cool benefit. So great. Next slide. Yeah, Ben Pitson and Clyde Leahy. So this is not Ben Pitson, but uh, I'll let Clyde start and then we'll go to Dave here. So all right, uh, Ben and I tag team, and we've incorporated Dave Malecki with us. And yeah. the way uh, we've um, seen the Lord at work in, uh, in our house churches, the utilization of, of his gifts through his people. Um, we just, <laughs> let's see, uh, and throughout the house church, we've seen love and support um, for others in the house church during times of need. Uh, we've seen this physically, emotionally, and financially, and that's been a wonderful thing to see. Mm. Um, we've seen two of the women step up and um, start the women's discipleship um, ministry, mm-hmm. yeah. and uh, it's going to continue this spring. Uh, we've seen a couple adopting a son, or two kids, and, um, and, and seeing our house church integrate and help them in ways mm. that are very tangible. Uh, we see some of the couples really reaching out to neighbors and caring for neighbors who are unbelievers and just drawing them in and loving on them as best they can and, mm. and just being tangible. Um, uh, and every seven months we make it a priority to see that somebody in our house church moves so that we have something to do and help out. <laughs> so, so, and, and as far as um, what we long to see God do, um, this is where I'm tag teaming with Dave. So. Okay, great. Yeah, I mean, we just long for Jesus. We long for his kingdom. We long for his righteousness. And yeah. uh, 
within the house church, just continuing to develop this attitude of surrender and worship, you know, as we're loving God with all our hearts, our souls, our mind, and our strength, and then looking as we love our neighbors, you know, within our house church, reaching out to the people in our house church, but also to our community, you know, to see people come to mm. faith, uh, to see people grow, to be transformed, and to bear fruit. Mm. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. That's great. That's great. All right, next slide. The O'Donnells. Yeah. Mike, tell us about you and Deanne, how you host your house church in Lansdale. Yeah, we're the uh, house church nearest to here. So kind of this part of the borough of Lansdale. How near sometimes, is near? How many blocks? Well, uh, sometimes we meet at our place, which is about five blocks away, and sometimes at Doug and Mare's, which is only slightly further. Um, so uh, when we first started this role last spring, we were kind of a very small group and barely viable, I felt. And God has blessed bringing in uh, some more support. Part of that is transfer growth as people move around the city and, and some new folks from outside. So we've been really blessed there. Um, I think you guys, like, I was, people were hanging off the rafters when I visited your house church like three weeks ago, up the stairs and in the back. Can you hear me? Like 25 people. So God's doing some cool stuff there. Uh, it's, it's been encouraging. Uh, with that comes more people to get involved, and that's been uh, great to see people willing to step in and, and take on various roles and uh, see the, the kids uh, become more uh, a part of, of things. And, and a real desire to develop community. Uh, the people have opened their homes and uh, the Phelpses have invited uh, folks for dinner, uh, just a simple get together uh, every once in a while. And that's, that's encouraging. I think looking ahead, uh, we realize God is, I think, drawing us together, but uh, we'd like to make more of an impact on the community around us. And I'm not sure how we do that. That's not my strength in a, in a sense of, you know, evangelism. But we, we know that God wants us to, to be that. I think uh, he said to the disciples that people would know who he is by looking at them. And that's what we want our house church to be, a, a community that when when the people around us look at us and see us in, as individuals and as a group, that they see Jesus and they know that he is who he claimed to be. Yeah, great, great. And next slide, yep, the Brand Hoover House Church. So who wants to start? All right, all right, Jason. Yeah, so um, we meet in uh, General Schwanksville, Collegeville, sometimes Harleysville area, uh, depending on what house church we meet in. Um, we, I think, still have the most kids. Is that still accurate? That's yeah, right. so it makes it a little crazy um, in our house church, but um, it's good. So, and uh, I think one thing that God has really been working on for us is um, just how much we generally like each other um, and like hanging out with one another, relationship building. I, and we were just talking last week about how in our culture, and especially with a lot of us having young kids, we really only get glimpses of time together. It's just a fact. So it's taken, we've been meeting together for almost three years. Um, so it's kind of been taken like some time for us to really generally become a family. And that's kind of been cool to see um, mm -hmm. lately, so. Yeah, great. Yeah. All right, John, how about you? Yeah, answering the question of looking forward, there's a number of things that I would just long to see in our house church, largely 
because of Jason mentioning all the kids that are present. Um, there was a period of time when we were more focused with our prayer, and um, it can be very chaotic, as you might imagine, with a dozen kids in a small home. However, I long to see the kids all the more involved in the laying on of hands and blessing people and praying for others, and even sharing in the scriptures and things like that. Mm. Um, it's one of my hopes and desires to see, not just for my own children, but for all of them, that it becomes just normal. You know, mm. if there's um, this desire that seems sometimes almost unattainable amidst the chaos, but as we gather regularly, as we grow and establish normalcy, um, I think those things can really spring up. And we've seen some of that, yeah. and I just, you know, really hope we see more. Yeah, that's awesome. That's great. So. Anyway, are we missing anybody else? No? Okay, great, great. Well, I just, in this series on community, it's just so important that we know who our shepherds are, that we know our different house churches and what God's doing. So hopefully you've gotten a glimpse of, I didn't know that, or that's great, or I'm going to pray for them moving forward. Um, but this is such uh, an important part of what we do. Um, we're going to pray for them later, but can we just thank our house church shepherds as they return to their seats? Okay, thank you, John. So I want to encourage you if, you, if you have a Bible, uh, if you turn to Matthew 18, Matthew 18. A few, a few years ago, I read an account of a young woman who had recently begun attending a church, and she was looking for ways to get involved in that local church. She hadn't been at the church very long and didn't know many people there, but she really desired to serve, and she said, this is my community. I want to lay down roots. This is where I'm going to be. She enjoyed baking, so she actually asked the leaders of the church, would it be okay if I baked the communion bread? And the leaders of the church were ecstatic. That would be great. We would love to have you do that. And so the, the church leaders made the announcement that this coming week that this woman would make the communion bread. Um, excitedly, she prepared for Sunday. Uh, due to her busy week, she had to bake the bread a few days in advance, so she made it. Uh, she put it in the refrigerator and uh, pulled it out the, the morning of. And when communion was served that Sunday morning and people proceeded forward to take the elements, she waited in the back to be one of the last people to receive the elements. Um, she was grateful. Uh, she reflected moving forward as people were shuffling forward to take the element. She was grateful that she had a chance to serve in this community right away, uh, to be able to use her gifts and her passions in this way. And in reverent silence, as people were shuffling forward, she began to hear coughing and commotion of several people as they were approaching the communion table. Um, she heard some more murmurs. She even heard a gasp, and she wondered as she was shuffling forward what was happening. And as she got to the elements to take the, uh, the elements, she looked down, and to her horror, she saw that inside the communion bread that she had baked, that it was full of maggots and rotting. And her face burned with shame. Now I understand why there was coughing and gasps and murmurs, she thought. And immediately the tears began to flow, and she quickly walked back to her seat. She began to gather her things as she was making an exit plan to not only leave that day, but never to return to the church, because the embarrassment and the shame was so great in her. She would leave the church. She would never return. She couldn't possibly stand the thought of seeing these people after a harrowing situation like this. So she drove away from the church in tears, 
And yet in her tears, the Lord nudged her to say, come back next week. Go back to that church. And in one of the greatest fears of her life, she next Sunday morning decided to pull in and walk in in front of this whole group of people that she had just baked rotting, maggot-filled bread for, of all places, at the communion table. One of the most excruciating experiences of her life, she said, but she was embraced with hugs and from that church. She said one of the lowest moments of her young life that it matured her, it changed her, it grew her, and it helped her see a community that loved her, even a community that had to suffer by eating rotting, maggot-filled communion bread. You know, as we're in this series, that community is necessary. We keep saying that phrase, community is necessary. But we continue in this series of how do we honor God? How do we love God in the midst of biblical community, even in the midst of rotting bread? What does that look like? The last gathering, we mentioned that there were 59 one another passages found in the New Testament. 59 one another's. And this morning, just very briefly, we want to look at the idea of forgiving one another. Forgiving one another. I've been thinking about this for the last several uh, months, that I think if you could summarize the whole Christian life into two words, it would be giving and forgiving. Giving and forgiving. That is the role that Jesus has played in our life, right? God the Father has sent His Son, has given Himself to us, has given us grace and mercy through forgiveness, and then turns to us and says, now it's your turn to go. Give yourself to me and to the world, God says. The whole Christian life can be summed up in two words, giving and forgiving, which means that if that's true, that this idea of forgiving one another is a pretty big deal. C.S. Lewis famously said, everyone thinks forgiveness is a lovely idea until he has something to forgive. In theory, forgiveness sounds awesome, and so we're the ones required to do that. So I want to encourage you, if you have a Bible, I want to encourage you to turn to Matthew 18, if you haven't gotten there yet. And, and as we read the story in just a moment, right before this passage happens, there's a discussion about who is the greatest, of which Jesus turns the discussion on its head. Then there's the parable of the lost sheep, which shows us the Father's great value for people. And then it's how to restore someone who has sinned. What do you do when someone has fallen away? There's messiness in sin. How do you bring someone back in a way that honors Jesus? And then there's this story, this passage that we're going to look at. So I want to encourage you to uh, in, turn in, in uh, Matthew 18, and let's start in verse 21. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother when he sins against me? Up to seven times? And Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a servant who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. It's like a king, I'm sorry, who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that they had be sold to repay the debt. The servant fell on his knees before them. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. He grabbed him and he began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. 
His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I will pay you back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. And when the other servants saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled, I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? And in anger, his master turned him over to the jailers to be tortured until he would pay back all he owed. This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother from your heart. So Jesus and Peter are talking here. And it's important that you understand this idea of seven when he asks about seven because in the ancient world, Jewish rabbis limited opportunities to forgiveness of a particular sin to three times. You make an offense, you ask for forgiveness, I forgive you. You make an offense, you ask for forgiveness, I forgive you. You make an offense, and then I forgive you. But you make offense again, the rabbi said, your reputation or your repentance, excuse me, your repentance wasn't legitimate. So it was up to three times for a particular sin. And I tend to think that when Peter's talking to Jesus, that he's pretty proud of himself, this idea of forgiving someone seven times. He's thinking, hey, let's double the rabbi's teaching, and let's throw in one more for good measure. Not three, not six, how about seven, right? I should forgive someone up to seven times, right, Jesus? I, I just can imagine Peter, he's kind of proud of himself. He's a little bit chesty, right? Like seven times, right? And Jesus, again, changes the scorecard. I mean, forgiving someone once, even twice, is a huge accomplishment in our own humanity. And Jesus changes that scorecard and says, not seven, but 77 times. Now, some of your Bibles may have a footnote, or some of your translations may not have seven or 77. They may have 70 times seven, which I'm a pastor and I'm not good at math, but I think that's 490. So whether it's 77 or 490, the different numbers, Jesus is making the point. If you count all the way to 77, or all the way to 490, you'll probably lose count. Wait, yeah, I forgive you, that's 71, or was yesterday 70, is that 70? It doesn't matter, I forgive you. But even if we were to keep count to 77 or 490, even if you were able to realize every time someone has wronged you, then you most definitely are seriously holding a grudge against someone that maybe the problem isn't them. If we're totaling this up over and over again, maybe the problem is us. And the truth is that most people in your lifetime won't wrong you a total of 490 times, unless you're married. But other than that, there probably won't be 490 times you need to forgive someone. I just noticed all the couples turned and looked at each other just a second ago. I'm not making that up. I'm not going to point you out and name you, but I saw that. I saw that. But Jesus' point is this. How many times? It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. There should be no end to your forgiveness. I imagine Peter is unbelievably stunned in this moment. I thought I was upping the ante from rabbinical teachings of three to seven, and now you're saying 77 or 490? What? 
this is a new teaching. This is a new rabbi teaching a new thing. And then, of course, Jesus tells a story. Like he's so good at doing, in the midst of a conversation, a question comes up, he tells a great story, and he tells another one here. And again, he tells these parables, these kingdom stories, these stories that reflect the rule and the reign of God. And what's interesting about Jesus when he tells kingdom stories is that he never actually tells us ever, recorded in the Gospels, what the kingdom is. He only tells us what the kingdom is like, but he never tells us what it is. And this is one of the ways he tells us what it's like, is he tells us stories. And he told this story. And in this story, he shows us that the kingdom is, is about extending forgiveness. And those who receive great amount of forgiveness, like the man in the story, the first one, he was forgiven about a million dollars in today's, today's world. It's about great amounts of forgiveness being extended. But if we don't turn and forgive the smaller offenses, and the man in the story wouldn't be willing to forgive the equivalent of about a few dollars in today's culture. That if we have all this forgiven, this million dollars worth of our stuff forgiven, but we can't just a few dollars forgive someone else, it makes the king's blood boil. Makes it boil. And the key verse here, like Jesus is so good at doing in, in stories, is actually in the form of a question, a question that he throws to us because we become participants in. Look in verse 33. This is, this is the zinger of the whole story, and it's in the form of a question, where the master says to the servant about his fellow servant, shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? And that final line in the midst of the king, the, the master's response, his, his anger, how he reacted so harshly, said, this is how your heavenly father will treat you unless you forgive your brother and sister from your heart. Whoa, 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 whoa. You know, people say, oh, Jesus loves everybody. And the truth is, he does. But in this passage, we seem to see the stern side of God's love and justice. And we talk here about being pipes, not buckets at Renew, right? We've been given so much blessing and resources and mercy and grace from Jesus and forgiveness. And if we go from being a pipe of what's been poured into us to intentionally turn it into a bucket, I will keep it to myself, including forgiveness. That's when the king's blood boils. When we harbor bitterness, when we hold grudges, when we savor resentment, he becomes angry when we choose to be a bucket. And that final phrase, unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart, not from your head, not from your mouth, not from your email response, but what does it mean from your heart? Who have you forgiven with your mind or your email? response, but not yet from your heart. When does your heart skip a beat, or when does your heart harden when that person's name is brought up, or when they walk into a room? Who is the person deep down that you think, I can forgive anybody but him? Forgiveness, no problem, but not her. 
Yeah, forgiveness, I've got this down, but not that group. Maybe it was a dad who abandoned you when you were a kid. Or that neighbor who abused you. Or that boss who continues to treat you terribly. That coworker who doesn't pull his own weight at work and you speak poorly of them and you hold bitterness because you've got to pick up where they don't pull their own weight. That former church or that missions organization that hurt you years ago and you're still holding on to it. Your spouse who belittles you and disrespects you in front of others. That person in your house church who made a comment six months ago that you haven't let go of but there's too much pride to want to address it so you just harbor bitterness. Who do you need to forgive even if they aren't asking for it on their part? Who's on your 77 list? So we're familiar with the Lord's Prayer, right? In the Lord's Prayer, we pray, forgive us our debts as we forgive those who sin against us. Here's a better translation of the nuance of that. Forgive us our debts as we are in the process of forgiving others. That when we pray that, we actually understand the onus is on us. That we are asking for forgiveness while also when others ask or we are extending forgiveness even when they're not. And Jesus then, after the Lord's Prayer, in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 6, 14 and 15, he says this. Good news, if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. Bad news. But when you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Whoa. Hold on here. Jesus has some pretty jolting things to say about forgiveness. Did you notice that Jesus talked about conditional forgiveness? I had never heard a sermon of anyone teaching on Jesus' conditional forgiveness of us. But I, it's right there. To God, this idea of forgiveness in a community together is radical, but it is not optional. We all know what it's like to harbor unforgiveness in our hearts, and we know the weight and the burden that it puts on us, not just on other people, but mostly on us. One of my favorite quotes of all time comes from Anne Lamott, and she said, not forgiving is like eating rat poison and waiting for the rat to die. We think when we harbor things that it will kill the rat when we realize we're the one that's ingested the poison. Ephesians 4, 32, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. Colossians 3, 13, bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. Did you notice Paul as he's talking to these two different house churches, that the reason we live lives of giving and forgiving isn't because Paul thought up some new innovative way to relate to each other. 
He says that we do this because it has been modeled and expressed to us first and foremost by God our Father through the Son Jesus to us and then also through other people. So here's the good news. The good news is that you have both been given to and forgiven. Giving and forgiving is a part of the story of God. It's a huge part of it. That he gave his own son. We've been forgiven of our awful sin. Even while on the cross, in his most vulnerable moment, shaming, physically excruciating moment on the cross between two thieves, one who was completely unrepentant, in his worst moment, he still, he still says, Lord, forgive them because they don't even know the extent of what they've done. He is the giver and he is the forgiver. And if we are not givers and forgivers, we can't possibly represent the goodness of this giving and forgiving God to the world in which we live. The gospel, you are forgiven. You are free. You don't have to carry around that weight of shame and guilt and heaviness that comes And aren't you glad that God, who knows all, doesn't total up your sins and then hold it against you? He doesn't say, that's 489. You better be careful. You have one more. Aren't you glad that God doesn't count that way? That's the good news. But with good news comes responsibility. And again, if we could sum up the Christian life in two words, it would be giving and forgiving. You've been shown that. Christians, now it's your turn to go and live out a life of giving and forgiving to the world around you. And so he says, if you want to represent me, if you want to receive this ongoing grace and mercy, then you need to respond to my love by doing the same to other people. And so I just want to end with these few questions here. If this were you in the story, this kingdom parable, what is the master's response to you in how you handle the forgiving of debts? What would the master's response be to you? And if the story represented renew, what would the master's response be to us as a community on the ethos and the level of our own forgiveness as a church. So I've been thinking about this this week. What does radically healthy and beautiful community look like? It means never holding grudges. Never holding grudges. We always say, how do we be a light to the community? You want to know the, one of the best ways we can do that? Never holding grudges. If we're to live a life of freedom that God offers to us, if we're to model for the world an attractive expression of God expressing himself in love in our context, if we are to expect God's continued forgiveness in our own lives, then forgiveness is the only way forward. Forgiveness is the only 
way forward. This is a phrase that came to me about two months ago, and I cannot get it out of my head. Forgiveness is the only way forward. If I long to live a free life, I can't do it avoiding that. If I want to honor God, I can't do it apart from that. If I want to expect that God will continue to show grace and mercy and forgive me, I can't avoid that. Forgiveness is the only way forward. I too, I'm not cool enough, and I've just gone beyond the age level where it would be like, well, that's cool to now, like, you got a what, right? But if I did, I'm wondering if that should be put somewhere on my body because that is huge. Forgiveness is the only way forward. 